So um, a story that I like to share is um, uh, Nicky Gumbel shared it recently on his um, reading plan. There's a guy, a missionary named John Patton. And John Patton went to an island in the Pacific years ago as a missionary, and he was coming from England. And uh, when he decided to go, to, when he made the decision to go to this island, it was an island of cannibals, and he knew that going in. Okay, it wasn't a bait and switch. <laughs> and uh, there were folks in his church trying to convince him not to go. And they kept throwing out the cannibal card. <laughs> Pretty good, good case to be made there. And uh, uh, he had one professor that kept telling him, you know, you're going, <laughs> there are cannibals there. Why in the world would you stop doing what you're doing here that's really <laughs> successful and go throw your life away on that island? And uh, he had a few words to say to that fella to basically make the point that I'm, I'm good. God's going to bring somebody better than me to take care of where I've been so that I can go do that. Then he had another guy come to him. This is an old guy in the church who was trying to twist his arm to stay. This guy is Mr. Dickerson, or Mr. Dixon, I think. And Mr. Dixon kept saying, cannibals, cannibals, they're just going to eat you. They're going to eat your body. And he said, Mr. Dixon, you're looking like you're going to be gone soon. And your body's going to go into the ground, and it's going to be eaten by worms. So if my body gets eaten by cannibals, I'm good with that. I'm fine with that because I'm pretty confident that God is going to raise both of us in the day of the resurrection, and we'll be fine. He had this conviction, this confidence that was, it doesn't matter when I live and when I die. It doesn't matter if I love the Lord in life or in death. He had a conviction that I'm going to go when it's time to go. Lottie Moon, a, a Southern Baptist missionary that was spent 40 years in China, said, I'm immortal until my work is done. She, had, she said, I have a conviction that I am immortal until my work is done. Um, if you've heard of um, Jim Elliott, who was in South America all those years, he said essentially the same thing. I don't know if he was quoting Lottie or not, because he would have come along later in the 1950s, but he said, we're immortal until God's done with us. And, and there's this conviction that says... Um, you know, when God's ready to take me, he's going to take me, and I need to be okay with that. And I trust that his timing is good, whether it's earlier than people expect or later than people expect. This is kind of one of the things, if you read some of the stories of George Washington in the, in the Revolutionary War and even the wars leading up to that, how many times he would stay on his horse in the middle of gunfight, even while all his soldiers were hiding behind trees and rocks, and he'd, have, he'd come out of the battle with holes through his coat, but he wouldn't be shot. And it was this, again, this conviction. He used the word providence a lot. He, this conviction that the Lord has my life in his hands and there's no better place for me to be. Um, and and I, as we look at this passage today, Revelation 11, there's certainly a place for this mindset to um, take root. I think there's some ammunition here for us to kind of pack this in and say, okay, do I really need to fear death? No. Why? And today's really about is why does God protect his people? And it goes into it a little more detail than that. Because I do think that I, I'm pretty convinced that Americans are pretty much, we're a bunch of scaredy cats. Okay? We have some courage, courageous people amongst us, but as Americans, we're pretty afraid. Um, and honestly, it's not because we're Americans. I think it's because we're people. Because every time our lives are threatened, we're willing to give up freedom to be safe. 
That's just a pattern. I've lived a little longer now. I can start to see patterns that I can actually say I've seen in my life. And every time our lives are threatened, we give up freedoms. And then when things get better, we start trying to get them back. Well, you know, the Lord has given us um, the ability to be not afraid no matter what. If we'll trust him. This passage is going to give you some, some of that, I think. Conviction. Confidence in him. It's been, uh, re- as I was reading um, and studying what other people have said about it, um, Revelation 11, one of the hardest passages to interpret in Revelation. I'm like, oh, great, this is going to be fun. <laughs> um, but what I came away with was very encouraging because even though I can't tell you what half of these things really mean, I mean, I can't tell you with confidence, I can tell you what I think, the, the, the takeaways are pretty much the same. And, and, here's the, and this is based on a conviction that I have about God's Word, and that is this. This book was not written for scholars, though scholars will study it and should. It was written for ordinary people like you and me to read and live. So it makes sense to me that while we won't understand a great deal of it, there's enough there that if we will put into practice, then we can live and do what he calls us to live and do. There's a passage in John where it says, um, I'm trying to remember, uh, it's, it's the passage that ends and the truth will set you free. But before that verse, what happens is he says, I'm teaching you the truth, and if you will obey what I've taught you, the truth will set you free. So it's truth, obedience to that truth, and then comprehensive understanding of that truth that sets you free. Truth doesn't set you free if you don't understand it. If I tell you truth in another language, it doesn't do you any good. It's not accessible. But if I tell you truth, and then you, okay, I get that. I'm not quite sure I understand all the implications, but I'm going to go ahead and flesh it out because I trust the source of that truth. Then the truth that sets you free is now in your hands. You now have acquired it. And that truth that sets you free means you can truly be free indeed. And when you are free, you are not afraid. No fear. What's that bumper sticker? No fear, what is it? No fear, no peace. No fear, no peace. K-N-O-W and then N-O-W. Starts with the N-O, I think. No, no peace. I'm going to mess it up. I can't remember it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. All right, let's jump in here. Um, John is writing. It's chapter 11. We're kind of in between the sixth. We are in between the sixth and seventh trumpet. And we'll hear the trumpet, the seventh trumpet blown, at least in the text, if not for real, Um, before we're done. (laughs) Maybe both. Who knows? (laughs) Here we go. John writes, I was given a reed, R-E-E-D, like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and its worshipers, but include the outer, don't, I'm sorry, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it's been given to the Gentiles. Remember, Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew. And it generally implies pagan or unbeliever. And then here's the reason. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. So let me stop there. 42 months, three and a half years. This is half of the seven years, whether it's literal or figurative. I don't really care. It's a period of time called the tribulation or the great tribulation, depending on how you parse it. And and the understanding that most people who read this have is that Jesus is going to show up at the end of that seven years, and he's going to set everything right. He's going to start dealing with things justly, and um, he's going to separate, and he's going to 
He's going he's gonna to take care of evil and suffering in a swoop. He's going to take care of it. But leading up to that, it gets really, really messy. And a lot of people die. Now, at this point in Revelation, we've already been through the six, seven seals. The seventh seal is actually the seven trumpets. We're through six of those. And half of the world is dead. Okay? And that's not including whether people have been raptured away or not. And if they have, fine. If they haven't, they will be. Okay? So we're down to uh, less than 4 billion people on the planet if this happens this week. And we still have more judgments to go. The last seven judgments are the bowls, and those are going to come in a few chapters. In the meantime, God's doing some things in this pause that um, are very noteworthy. And we're actually going to cross the pinnacle of the book of Revelation in this chapter, verse 15. If you were to draw out the book of Revelation from chapter 1 to chapter 22, it would crescendo to this point, 1115, and then come back down and finish out strong. But the pinnacle is the verse 15, which we'll get to in a few minutes. So what temple are we talking about? He says, go measure a temple. There's no temple today. The Temple Mount has a mosque on it, and you can see one side of the old wall. And so is this talking about the temple in Jesus' day, which would have been um, about 60 years before when John wrote this, but is already by this time has been destroyed by um, the, the Romans? Or is it one of the older temples? Is he referring back to one of the older temples? Is he referring to a future temple? You know, Israel's planning to rebuild the temple. They've got the supplies. They've got the drawings. They've got the furnishings. They are ready to go. They're just waiting for, I don't know, whatever is going to make it possible for them to go build on the Temple Mount, which they can't do right now because of all the, um, all the uh, opposition to it. Or is it figurative? Is it symbolic? Is it pointing to... Um, when we see Paul talk about our bodies, the bodies of a follower of Jesus Christ, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I don't have an answer for you. I don't know the answer, okay? I do believe that it's true that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and I think that fits, but I don't think it has to be only that, and it may be wrong as far as what's being referred to here. This is why I think it matters. He is telling John, go take stock in the people of God in the temple, excluding the rest of the world, right? Excluding the Gentiles and the outer court. So the, the temple had an outer court, and this was like football field sizes of an open-air area around the smaller temple proper. This was in the days of Jesus. And in that temple proper, only Jews could go in, and in the closer you got to the Holy of Holies, the fewer people that could go. Like women had a court, but they couldn't go any further, and, and so forth and so on. And he is basically saying this. He's saying, John, I want my people to know that I know them, that I know where they are, and I can protect them, and I'm going to protect them, sort of. Okay? So when I tell you that our bottom line today is God protects his people against all satanic oppression and opposition, that doesn't mean that God protects us against everything. And then, but then that's the first part. And the second part is that while God protects his people from satanic opposition, in the meantime, God's people are proclaiming the good news until the kingdom comes. Okay? And we pray the Lord's Prayer. We say, your kingdom come, right? Your will be done. You know, we want it to happen. We want it to come. It is, we believe it's here, but not yet. We believe it's here, but not completely. It's one of those kind of paradoxes we see in Scripture. He's, he is trying to encourage the people 
I'm, I know you personally. I know your situation. I'm there with you. I'm there for you. And you have a job to do in the meantime. Okay, so you, this is going to become more clear as we move towards, moves through this. Okay, so those, that's the first two verses. I think that's what that's about. Okay, we may disagree over what temple we're talking about, but I think at the end of the day, God knows his temple represents his presence in the midst of his people. Okay, even before there was a temple, we had the Garden of Eden, and God walked with Adam and Eve, and they talked to Eve every evening, and it was face to face. It was really cool. And then, right, the curses fall, and we move fast forward. You get to Moses. He delivers the people. They build a portable church, all right, and there's a, it's a tent with a fence. <laughs> and what's in the middle? The Ark of the Covenant, God's presence amongst his people. And all the tribes arranged around that because he wanted this picture. I'm, in the, I'm camping in the middle of you. I'm a camping in the middle of my people, okay? Fast forward to David. They replaced the tabernacle, which is the portable church, the tent with a, a temple, bricks and mortar, really blocks and wood, timbers. And there's, it's the same design. There's the Holy of Holies with the Ark of the Covenant in the middle, built in the midst of Jerusalem, the city of God, amidst the nation of Israel. Again, God in the midst of his people. That's the picture. John 1 one one in the beginning was God in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God verse fourteen and the Word which is Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us he pitched his tent among us you see the similarity you see it and and he came to make it so that the temple wasn't geographically restricted to a place which makes sense God is omniscient. He is omnipresent, which means everywhere. And so why couldn't he be in every one of our hearts, camping, pitching his tent in our hearts, dwelling amongst us? Now, he rolls into this second part where we're going to see this is what we're to do while we wait for this to happen. Verse 3. God says, And I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. 1,260 days is three and a half years. At this point in the Revelation, if I understand it right, we are halfway through the seven years, which would be three and a half years. And it goes from bad to worse, which is why I love that the best is yet to come and it's beyond that. But we haven't gotten there yet. At least I don't think we're there yet. Some people think we're in the middle of that seven years figuratively. They could be right. It doesn't change what really matters here. So let's not get hung up on all these details Okay, read your books, study the word. I'm good with that. But don't let it keep you from what really matters. 42 months. So, so who are the two witnesses? I don't know. Okay? And nobody else really knows either, although some may have guessed correctly. <laughs> now, here are some of the ideas that people have. And these are just a few. There's dozens of thoughts. Some people think Enoch, Enoch and Elijah. Those are the only two people that we know of in the Old Testament who were born, who lived, and didn't die. Okay, so maybe they've come back to finish it out, die and go back. Who knows? Second, this is a more popular one, could be Moses and Elijah. Okay? And when I read the descriptions of what these two witnesses can do, you're gonna if you know your Old Testament, you're going to go, oh, yeah, Elijah did that. Oh, yeah, Moses did that. So it could be them. And we think of the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus took James, John, and Peter up on the mountain. Who, was there, who joined them? Moses and Elijah. I don't know. Maybe that has nothing to do with this. Two witnesses is all I know. And what does a witness do? They bear testimony to what they've seen, heard, and what they know to be true. 
and they do it publicly. They proclaim it in such a way that people can take note and know that it's trustworthy. Okay? Kind of think of a court of a law. You, you put your hand on the Bible. I, I, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. Okay? And then you, you give that, and that's out there. Now, but let's look and see how they're described. But here's what I think, whether it's two people that we've heard of from the Old Testament, whether it's two people we've never heard of, we don't get, we're not giving their names because we're not, it doesn't matter, or whether this is figurative and it's describing the church and this is what the people that are there representing the church are going to say, whether the raptures happened or not, there will be some believers. It's possible it could be those. It could be two of them. It could be 20 of them. It could be 200 of them. I don't know. The point is this. They show us what we're to be doing until his kingdom comes. What are they doing? They're bearing witness. They're testifying. They're proclaiming the good news until the kingdom comes. And that is what we're to be doing. Now watch how God protects them, and then watch how God lifts his hand of protection and see if you can figure out what the trigger is. All right, let's keep going. So verse 4, there are... They are, this is describing these two witnesses figuratively. This is clearly figurative. They are two olive trees. They are the two olive trees. And Gene's helped us get some insight into that. In addition to, and he talked about how the oil is used to fill lamps, and that was the fuel for a lantern that they would use to light rooms in their homes. Okay? Oil and fire are symbols of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I think that has a huge part in this. He's going to already refer to, and a little bit later in that key verse I was telling you about, he's going to refer to God the Father, God the Son, and the, God the Holy Spirit is here too. Okay, triune God. He describes them as the two olive trees. So they are very much like Gene was describing, steadfast and standing in some pretty hellacious times. They're going to be standing firm. Okay, the reason is because God is with them. And God is keeping them and he is protecting them because I promise you the, satan- the demonic, satanic opposition that is there wants to crush them. And I'll prove that when they get an opportunity, they're going to do it. And the two lampstands, another Old Testament reference, Holy Spirit, fire, and light. And so we see that. And they, they stand before the Lord of the earth. Okay, And then it says this, verse 5, If anyone tries to harm them, watch the protection they have. Fire comes from their mouths. And devours their enemies. Now, I wouldn't mind having a remote that could do that. That would be pretty cool. What'd you say? What'd you call me? <laughs> now, that's some hot sauce. Uh, verse 5, this is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power. There's more. There's more. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. Elijah and the prophets, shut, they, he shut down the rain for three and a half years, for three years, three and a half years. Three and a half? Three years. And they have power to turn the waters into blood. Moses did that. And to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Moses was a good bit about that as well. So those are the, this is the powers they had that gave them protection while they're doing what? Proclaiming the good news until the kingdom comes. Okay? You with me? All right, now watch the trigger. See if you can find it. It's what happens when God removes his hand of protection. He does it on purpose, and he does it, um, and, and, and the, I think what that says is it's true for us as well. If God chooses to remove his hand of protection from you and me, there's a reason. All right? All right, so where was I? Okay, so they're figuratively called, okay, so now, verse 7. Now, when they had finished their testimony, okay, 
the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Okay? I know, right? We read this and it's like, this is crazy stuff, right? Goodness, what a, what a vision. And yet, here we are. Now, when they've finished, when the witnesses have finished doing what? Sharing and proclaiming the good news, okay? When they've finished their testimony, what does testimony mean? Okay, it goes back to the word witness. It is the word, it comes from the word we get witness from, but it, it, the word, the Greek word's the word for martyr. So the original meaning of martyr was to be a witness. But people who witness even unto death, it, it took on that meaning over time and became the dominant meaning of the word martyr. Okay, so to be a martyr, yes, you have to die now. I mean, that's what it means now. But you can't be a martyr if you, haven't, if you aren't dying for what you are testifying to. So a Christian martyr is someone who dies for their, the witness they're giving to their faith in Christ. Okay, They are going, that's what they're getting ready to be. The beast... If, as I understand it, is the Antichrist. Now, there's Antichrists, plural, and there's the Antichrist, capital A, if you will. Okay, This is the capital A Mac Daddy of all Antichrists. Okay? We, there's Antichrists throughout history. You can go back and find people who oppose Christ. First John, if you want to read about what that's like, look at First John, and he talks about Antichrists, plural. But this is the, and, and he is, and look where they, he comes from. He comes from the abyss, the pit, okay? And, and that's where, if you remember a few chapters ago when we talked about the locusts coming and, and how they would torment the inhabitants of the earth, those who were re- rebelling against God, they would torment those, but they weren't permitted to kill them, even though those people wanted them to because they were so tormented, but it wouldn't touch God's people. So they're coming from the same place. So clearly, God has the key. He unlocks and opens and lets them out from time to time or permits somebody else to do that. Because, again, he is allowing these things to happen. He's allowing evil to happen to judge evil. He uses evil to judge evil. But he's ultimately in, in control. Okay? If Satan is a lion, he's still on a leash. Okay? All right. So, um, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack and overpower and kill the two witnesses. Okay? So, now they're dead. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, that's a reference to Jerusalem, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt. Okay, Sodom from Sodom and Gomorrah, and you remember that God rained down fire and destroyed that city. Gross immorality. Egypt, slavery. 400 years, Israel was enslaved for 400 years. So you have those two cities symbolically saying Jerusalem was a city of great immoral, gross immorality and slavery. And that's not just physical slavery, that's slavery to sin and all idolatry and all that. Okay? Where also their Lord was crucified, which in case you weren't sure what the great city was, it's where Jesus was crucified, which we know to be Jerusalem. Okay, verse 9. For three and a half days, not years, for three and a half days, a very short amount of time, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation. There's the number four again, which is the word for world or earth. Okay, People from all those places will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial, which is a huge offense, which they were doing on purpose to make it very clear, we hate those two witnesses. The inhabitants of the earth, again referring to the wicked, will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts. They're going to create a holiday around the death of these two witnesses. Because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. 
when you proclaim the good news, this is going to be true for you and me as well. And some of you know this, and this is why some of you don't do it. Okay, Because people, some people are going to embrace the message, but most people are not. And some people are going to hate you because you're saying it out loud. And part of the reason they are doing that is because they feel conviction and they don't like it. They don't want to change. They don't want to surrender. They don't want to give up whatever it is they think they have to give up. They don't want to be told what to do. They don't want to live under the authority of their creator. Okay? We continue, to, like the witnesses, to proclaim it until we're finished. Okay? That's what Jesus did, right? He, he lived most of his life in obscurity. For three years, he ministered and spoke publicly. And then he went to the cross and was crucified. And right before he, was, he breathed his last, what did he say? Among other things, it is finished. So God's hand of protection is there against all satanic opposition until we're finished. Proclaiming the good news until his kingdom comes. So we're going to be done. Either he's going to take us home until the kingdom comes or the kingdom's going to come and we're going to start the party. And it'll be, we'll be right there in the front. Okay, But it's sobering. But Jesus said, right? Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life, and few will find it. That's the message. We're preaching the same message, and that's just how they're going to respond. The aroma of Christ. Some people like the smell, and some people hate it. And the more our culture continues down the road we're heading, the more vocal those opponents are going to be. And they're going to, and here's what's going to make it really hard. They're going to do it for reasons, and you're going to hear their reasons, and you're going to go, you just don't understand. And you're going to think, if you would just understand where I'm coming from, and, and we just got to surrender that. Okay? We've just got to surrender and, and be willing to be misunderstood in the process of proclaiming the good news. Because the good news is good news whether they believe it or not. It's good news whether they understand it or not. It's good news whether God opens their eyes or not. It's still good news, and we get to live that out, and that's what we should. That's what we get to do. Okay. So after three and a half days, the breath of life of God. Uh, enter, okay. So that, that's okay. After three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet. And terror struck those who saw them. Okay. So so God's like, oh, this is going to be fun. Watch this, Gabriel. And he and he and he's like, boom. There's life. Three and a half days later, they've been laying there, just their bodies in decay, and then boom, they're up and they're walking. And the rest of those folks that were having their little holiday, they are terrified. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here, talking to the witnesses, and they, he took them home. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. And at that very hour, there was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. This is Jerusalem we're talking about. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Now, isn't that unusual? We've seen all these judgments, and never once does anybody repent. This is how dramatic things have gotten. We're right probably about halfway through that seven years, and boom, they're giving glory to God, whether they trust in following him or not. They're terrified into glorifying God. The second woe is past. The third woe is coming soon. Okay, so now home stretch. All right, so we've seen that God is protecting his people, okay, so that they can proclaim the good news until he comes. 
Okay? But that protection is not, um, it, it should give us the confidence to say, I'm immortal until my job is done, right? And it should give me the confidence to walk in the way of truth with peace and not fear, okay? But that is hard to do when you know he could still take me anytime and it could be ugly. It could be like through a path of suffering. Think of the martyrs who died in the flames. Think of the martyrs who were put in giant barrels and rolled off the end of the dock so that they would sink and drown because they were getting rebaptized. What a terrible way to die and what a terrible reason. But they were not willing to deny their Lord. That's what a, a martyr does. Okay? It's not something we seek, but it's something that happens. So now we're going from the sixth to the seventh trumpet. Now, the seventh trumpet is actually going to be the last seven judgments, the bowls, and we'll talk about those in a few weeks. But here we see it, the angel, seventh angel sounded his trumpet, verse 15. And there were loud voices in heaven which said, and this is what they're going to say, and this is, this is if you don't remember anything else from the 28 weeks of Revelation, these are the words you should hang on to. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. The kingdom of the Lord is becoming the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Like, you should be circling that in your Bible. You should be like posted notes, like big arrows, like highlighter. Like, that should cause you to go, wow, I can get through anything if I believe that. Which is the rub, isn't it? Because if you can read that and go, whatever, then you, that's not good news to you. And if that's not good news to you, then you just don't know the Lord yet. Now, I don't know your heart. And you may not understand this, and I could be wrong. My point is this. The implications of this verse are, it doesn't matter what happens to me in this life. He's got me, and he's never going to let me go. Nothing can take me out of his hand. God will never open his hand and let me go because Isaiah 49, 16 says he's actually engraved my name into his palm. So that's not going anywhere. He's tattooed your name on his palm. So, you know, God's memory, right? Like he has a problem with memory. And he goes, oh, yeah, his name is, her name is, and I got her. Okay? But not only that, but there's, oh, it drives me nuts when people say this. You can walk away from God's from God. Well, you can walk away from God if what you mean is you can walk away from receiving him, but you cannot walk away from the one who has you. Why would you? Why would you want to? Because when, when you come to know Christ, you've been born into the family of God. Okay? I can't be unborn physically. So Jesus said, that's a great analogy. Let me take that and use that in spiritual terms. We are born again spiritually. You can't be unborn spiritually any more than you can be unborn naturally. And who would want to be, right? And the analogy carries over. So, you know, Jesus, it's like Jesus knows what he's talking about. It's just crazy, you know? The kingdom of this world has become, now this is in the future, this is future history. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord, that's the God, the Father, and his Messiah, that's the Lord Jesus. Okay? You with me? And he 
will reign forever and ever. Jesus is king, king of kings, lord of lords. That's why that language is all throughout the Bible, because he gets to be king. And then when he gets that thousand-year reign established, then he's going to go, here, Dad, it's all back together for you. And he's going to glorify his father, and his father's going to glorify him because that's what they spend all their time doing is, oh, my son, oh, my dad, oh, my son, oh, my dad. They just love and adore each other, which is exactly what we ought to be doing. We have great reasons to because he, listen, with these words, I don't have to worry about anything, no matter what God wants to drag me through. Like the picture that Gene gave us of the tree on top of the mountain in these terribly difficult conditions, standing long and firm. Doesn't scripture tell us that? Stand firm in the Lord. Your roots go, let them go deep. Streams of, of, of the waters going by and the, and the trees that's near on the riverbanks, those roots go deep. And, they get, and, and, and in Revelation, we're going to read the trees, that, the trees that go along the waterway. They bear fruit all year. And their leaves are like medicine. And the fruit, I cannot wait to get a bite of that fruit. Okay? You think Skittles are good. And the 24 elders, oh yeah, they're still here. We've swung to heaven. We've gone back from earth to heaven in the vision. The 24 elders who were seated on the thrones before God fell on their faces. Boy, this is getting big time intense. This is the first time we've seen them get out of their seats, okay? It's kind of like us. We don't like to get out of our seats to worship God because that's not proper. They don't have that problem, okay? They fall on their faces. I've never seen anybody in here fall on their face. Um, Be careful. It's concrete floor if you do, okay? But it's appropriate. Well, the floor is dirty. That's the point. Sorry, got off on that. Who were seated on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and was, of course, is to come, is implied. This is already in the future. Because you have taken your great power and you have begun to reign. They are excited that he has finally taken his rightful place on the throne. Listen, these angels have been watching, and they're going, These people are terrible. Why would he die for these nutcases? These people are so schizophrenic in their faith, they don't know what they believe. It's so clear. Well, it is to them. It is to them. And I I can understand their frustration. Okay? The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small. God knows your name, no matter how small you think you are. He knows who you are. He knows what you're thinking. He knows where you're hurting. He knows how many hairs are on your head. Not that that really matters to anybody else. He knows the details of your pain and your suffering, and he is there, right there with you. And for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven, and no, I don't know what temple that is either. Maybe the one in Revelation 21, 22, maybe. That temple was opened, and within his temple we see the Ark of his Covenant, which represents the presence of God and the mercy seat. Okay, Anybody like mercy? Anybody like to receive mercy? Anybody like to be forgiven? You like when God forgives you? We're not so good about forgiving other people. We don't really want to do that. But we love it when people forgive us. We always think we deserve it, but that's beside the point. We still like it. Mercy. The mercy seat of God is on top of the Ark of the Covenant. That's where the priest would go in and shake blood. You know why? Because there is no forgiveness of sin without the sacrifice of blood, innocent blood. 
It's all foretold. It's the whole Old Testament is a picture of what's to come. And there came flashes of lightning, rumbles, peals of thunder, an earthquake, a severe hailstorm. Probably makes what happened in Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lockhart movie look like a picnic compared to what really will happen. It's going to be intense. So bottom line is this. God, is, God protects his people. Why does he protect his people? So they can proclaim the good news until he comes. He protects his people against all satanic opposition. We do not need to walk in fear. Now let me say this and then I'll close. We are to proclaim the good news. What is the good news? Because we say it all the time and I don't think we always get it. And so I want to I go to one passage. I'm going to say quote one passage and go to Luke 4. So while they're going to Luke 4, I'm going to tell you Mark 1.15. Jesus says early in the book of Matthew, he says, The kingdom of God is near. Therefore, repent and believe the good news. Okay? Okay, so we, we go to that repent and believe the good news, and we forget the part that says the kingdom of God is near. That is the good news. Why is that good news is a good question to ask, though. Why is it good that his kingdom would be nearby? Because of the way his kingdom works. Luke 4. Verses 18 and 19. Jesus is speaking. He's in his hometown where he's going to be rejected. Okay? So if your family rejects you because of your faith, you're in good company. Don't quit, but don't get focused on that. Don't worry about it. Okay? This is what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, Jesus says, because he has anointed me, that is, covered me, poured out on me, to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim three things. Freedom for the prisoners, and later he's going to say to set the oppressed free. Recovery of sight for the blind, there's vision. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Three things. Freedom, vision, blessing. Okay, what what are these? Freedom, I don't know what it is. Okay, we're not just talking about being freed from prison. You can be free and in prison. Paul demonstrated that when he wrote four of his letters while in prison. One of them, the letter of joy, the book of Philippians, okay? So if he can be full of joy while in prison for just loving Jesus, you can too. So we must be talking about something more. What are you enslaved to right now? What's oppressing you in your life right now? What are you letting get you by the throat? The gospel is is the kingdom of God is near. And that kingdom is a kingdom of freedom. So if you have something at your throat that you're not letting God deal with, it's not his fault. His kingdom is right here. And he can help you overcome that. He can free you from that. You have to trust him to do that. You have to believe he has the power and authority to do that. And he does. And we do. And we need to realize he wants to do it through us. And quit standing back and going, okay, God, if you want to do it. No. Get in there and love him. Okay? And sometimes that means you might have to tie their shoes and give them a loaf of bread and give them a room to stay in in the process of helping them find that freedom. Freedom from whatever binds us. Vision. Okay, This is not just healing people visually, although as rare as that is, God does that. But there's so much more important vision than just what we can see with our physical eyes. If I can't see God, then I don't know what he's like. And if I don't know what he's like, then I'm not going to become like him. I need to be able to see. Jesus said, come and see. Okay? So God opens the eyes of the blind. We, re- we sang about it. He opens the eyes of our heart so that we can see Jesus. 
there's nothing else, right? So, you know, let's guard our eyes from what else we're putting in and let's, let's, let's gaze on him. And then the last one is his great favor and blessing to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor was to proclaim a host of blessings in, the, in Israel every seven years and every 49th, 50th year. And, and it included getting your property back which means tangible, physical blessings. It included um, being free if you'd been enslaved. For whatever reason, you were freed and, and other things. God wants to bring all of these things. Look, the kingdom of God, it's good news that there's a kingdom of God and that it's near, okay? But it's, it's like I say, it, it, may be, it may be the box under the Christmas tree with your name on it, but it's not yours until you appropriate it. Rip the wrapping off, Okay. It's yours. It's got your name on it. He's, it's just for you, but you have to believe it and receive it. Okay? Let's pray. God, I thank you that you made a way for us to get back to you, that you've rescued us, and that you're still rescuing people far from God but close to us, and you're using us in the process to do that. What a gift. What a privilege it is for us. Lord, may we embrace that and and lean into that and let you work in and through us. I pray even now that for faith, whether people are watching online or people in the room or people that will listen to this in the future, Lord, I just pray that they would open their eyes of their heart. You would open the eyes of their heart, that they would see you and receive you, knowing that you you are just as real as anything could be. And that you want us to know you, to know that you've got our backs so that we can proclaim the good news until your kingdom comes. Embolden us, encourage us, equip us, and send us out. In Christ's name we pray.